Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. What's interesting is I like to think of this Biff method as pouring cold water on the flames. And so it just falls flat for the narcissist. So they don't get that response. They want to get a sense of humiliating you or dominating you or something. And they don't get to have that. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Zung, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung, and it is such an honor and a pleasure to welcome Bill Eddy to this episode. I have been familiar with Bill Eddy myself as a lawyer for many, many years, and I have actually, I'm going to actually get into how I'm familiar with his work as a lawyer uh, here in this episode. He is a lawyer himself. He's a very unique guy because he's not only a lawyer, but he's also a licensed clinical social worker, and he has uh, gained a lot, a lot of uh, prominence all around the world. He has uh, actually founded his own high conflict institute. He's written many, many best-selling books. He's on the faculty at the Strauss Institute for Dispute Resolution at Pepperdine University. He has taught at the Newcastle Law School in Australia. He's been a keynote speaker. He's traveled all over the world and taught people. He has one of the most popular blogs uh, at on psychology today. I think it says 5 million views, something like that. Um, so welcome, welcome, Bill Eddy, to the show. Thanks so much, Rebecca. I'm glad to be on with you. Thank you. And you I didn't mention um, in the bio because I want to actually get into some of the incredible books that you've written. Um, so uh, you, I want to first go into you have this really unique background in both mental health and as a lawyer. Tell us about that. How did that even come to be? Well, I really started out in, in mental health as a clinical social worker. So I wanted to do family counseling. I was trained to do child and family counseling, uh, getting a master's in social work. I did that. And my training was interesting because I did it at the Child Guidance Clinic, which was part of Children's Hospital in San Diego. And so I learned right away about personality disorders because the DSM-3, the manual for therapists for diagnosis, came out in 1980, and two people from there presented and explained personality disorders. And then I got referred a case where there was a mom with a personality disorder and an eight-year-old girl with a lot of anxiety. So anyway, from there, I spent 12 years child and family counselor. But I really liked resolving conflicts, including legal types of conflicts. So I wanted to do mediation. 
and mediation of conflict. So I went to law school so I could write up legal agreements and resolve legal issues. And I became practicing as a family lawyer. When I started doing that, I realized, oh, well, I'm dealing with people with mental health problems in family court, but nobody recognizes the the mental health. They think it's about child support or parenting plan, but there's really all this personality stuff. So I started trying to point that out uh, to lawyers and judges and mediators, and they were like, what the heck are you talking about? So I sat down and wrote a book about it, and that was called High Conflict People in Legal Disputes, and that kind of got the ball rolling, and that was about 20 years ago. And here we are today with people really wanting this information. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such a unique perspective to have both the legal and the psychological backgrounds. Um, and you have written so many different books, but one of the books that you have written, which is actually just came out a couple of years ago, called The Five Types of People Who Can Ruin Your Life, Identifying and Dealing with Narcissists, Sociopaths, and Other High-Conflict Personalities. So I wanted to just start off, since I talk a lot about narcissists on my show and, and on my YouTube channel, what is your definition of a narcissist? Well, what's interesting is, is I try to define it as two different levels, because a lot of people have some narcissistic uh, traits. So you think of self-centeredness, you think self-absorbed, um, really not that interested in other people, not having empathy um, and that, but they don't necessarily have a narcissistic personality disorder. So I talk a lot about narcissistic personality disorder. And with that, you get some actually pretty dark characteristics. So you get a need for them to humiliate people. To be superior, they have to feel superior. They have to put other people down. And so you see them privately and publicly criticizing, demeaning, um, making jokes about, humiliating, stepping on other people to advance their own careers, taking credit for other people's work, and blaming other people when they get caught for what they've done, which isn't very good. So there's kind of this pathological side that people often don't understand and it catches them by surprise. So I, I define a narcissistic personality disorder with characteristics like demeaning behavior, arrogance, uh, certainly lack of empathy, um, a, a drive for superiority that's really artificial because human beings are, you know, we have strengths and weaknesses. And to be seen as superior, they have to create things that are really exaggerations. So there's a lot of exaggeration. So that's a nutshell, I guess, of the pathological narcissist. And a little less of that would be a narcissist, but not necessarily pathological. Right. And, and there are a lot of people that have narcissistic traits or tendencies. Yeah. And they're not so fun to be around either. 
True, true. Just being around someone who's self-absorbed is, is not really very pleasant because it's like you don't exist. <laughs> right, right. And 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 narcissists thrive on conflict. And I talk a lot about that as do you. Um, and you have a whole high conflict institute, of course. And um and, and and they do get narcissistic supply from that. They thrive on that. Um, and you have some great resources and you've come up with some fantastic, easy to use, easy to remember tricks for people to, to you know, to help people during these high conflict times, which are really, really great, especially when they're in like this, the thick of the emotion and the trauma and that that trauma brain and they can't um, think straight. And um, in fact, you do have a, a new book, which I definitely want to get into. But I want to talk for a second about one of your older books, which is Biff, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the fantastic books. Um, and it's called Biff for Co-Parent Communication. And it's B-I-F-F for people who are trying to hear what I'm saying. It's like uh B as in boy, I, F as in Frank, F as in Frank. Uh, and the actual title is Biff for Co-Parent Communication, Your Guide to Difficult Text, Emails, and Social Media Posts. And I'm going to put links to all of the books that we mentioned during this podcast. I will put links to in the show notes so you guys don't have to go searching for it all. There will be links to everything in the show notes for you guys. So it'll make it easy for you. But I have a story about that book. Actually, I had a high conflict case back when I was still practicing full on. And um, I had a um, situation where the judge actually um, had us coming back monthly with this couple. Uh, We had settled the case, but she still wanted us to come back for these case management conferences. And one of the times that we had to come back, she actually gave, she had two copies of this book. The judge had two copies of the Biff book. And she gave her own personal copies to the clients and she gave them homework was to read this book and do the the exercises in the book and 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 actually communicate with each other using the 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 exercises in the book and then they were to come back and return the books she was like i want these books back these are my personal copies of the books and give her a report on how they did with their biff the following month. So I had to tell you that story because the judge was actually giving them Biff homework. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I bet the clients learned something from that and, and were motivated because it came from the judge. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. So with that preface, <laughs> what is Biff? <laughs> so, so Biff is really a simple technique for writing. And it's designed for emails, text messages, any kind of written communication to keep it be as brief. So typically it's just a paragraph. So you get a hostile 
you know, page or two sent to you email, and you can respond usually just with a paragraph. So it's brief. And that helps. So you don't have to spend days and days writing out all this detail. The second is that it's informative. It's just informative. It's not arguments, opinions, emotions, defenses, all of that. It's just some piece of information like the program is on Friday at three o'clock. The kids need to be dressed such and such, things like that. So just information, who, what, where, and when type of information. Then the first F is, it doesn't matter which F is which, it's friendly. So it has to have a friendly tone. Now, that's not easy to do if you received a hostile email. But you can turn it around and just say, thank you for letting me know your point of view. Or thank you for letting me know your concern. And then provide information. And last is firm. And firm doesn't mean harsh. It just means it ends the hostile conversation. So usually you're done with what you've said. You don't put hooks out there like, what do you think of that, buddy? You know, you don't want to pull them back in. And so it just ends the conversation. Now, sometimes you need information. So you might end it with a question and say, please let me know yes or no by Thursday at five. And that can also be part of a BIF response. But the BIF book for co-parents has, um, I think we've got uh, 28 examples in there of conversations about healthcare, about school, changing schedules, et cetera. So that's what BIF is. Yeah, and uh, definitely great. Lots of examples, and um, I, I like the, the the brief, informative, friendly, and firm. And um, I always highly recommend that kind of response too. And they do, you know, narcissists especially because they do thrive on that conflict. They get a high from that. They want to pull you in. They purposely trigger you. I mean, that that's what they're trying to do um, is get you sucked into the mud with them. Right. I mean, that that's the whole purpose of it. Yeah. And and what's interesting is I like to think of this Biff method as pouring cold water on the flames. And so it just falls flat for the narcissist. So they don't get that response. They want to get a sense of humiliating you or dominating you or something. And they don't get to have that. It just it falls flat for them. And so it doesn't reward them for communicating this way. And I've actually heard recently from lawyers who say, you know, my client's been responding uh, with BIF responses for the past six months. And now the the ex is responding the same way and they don't even know it's a method, but they see it looks better and sounds better. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, and I've said many times in my videos, you know, and and in my programs that the the narcissist many times, especially in family law cases, they've spent many years 
they, they, with you. They know your triggers. They know your weak points. So they go after that when they they write these emails and things. And a lot of times they purposely send these triggering types of emails, not just to get a response from you, but also because they're trying to get you and goad you and trigger you into writing something that they can now use against you. And, you know, I, as the lawyer, I always have to remind people that every text, every email, anything you put your hand to is a potential trial exhibit. Mm -hmm. And so when they send those triggering emails, they're trying to not only elicit a response from you that now sucks you into the mud and gets you going, and now they've got this thing which proves that they still have control over you and proves that they can still um, get you to be... um, you know, that they, they, they still have that power over you. There's that secondary thing, which is that they can now get you to write something that they can use against you. Yeah. And, and they really do show up in family court. So it's good for people to know about that. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. And they're not getting it anywhere in their life because nobody wants to give a narcissist respect. They're like, you feel like you want to put them down and say, you're the stupidest guy in the room. And they try to show how superior they are. When it comes to the safety of a child in a divorce case involving alcohol abuse, there is no compromise. Take back power, strength, and truth from the narcissist in your life with documented proof of sobriety. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they're not drinking when a child's safety is at risk. Soberlink's real-time alerts make it easy to negotiate with any party Judges rest assured that the child is safe. Attorneys get court admissible evidence of sobriety and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. I created this community to provide support for divorced moms like me, which is why I partnered with Soberlink to create the resource Tips for Negotiating with a Narcissist. To download the guide and get $50 off your Soberlink device, visit www.soberlink.com forward slash negotiate. Are you struggling with how to negotiate and win? Maybe you're dealing with a personality that's particularly challenging like a narcissist or other high conflict personality and you're feeling powerless. Make sure to download my free Win My Negotiation Cheat Sheet at www.winmynegotiation.com. Take a listen to our archive 
where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. I would define a personal crisis the same way as I would define an operational crisis. When there is an interruption to some type of service, so whether you're a company or you're a person, and it impacts your life so much that it takes time out of your life, it rents space in your head, and you now need to mitigate or handle that crisis as it handles, as it's happening to you. And now we return to today's show. I want to also mention, we've then since that book written Biff at Work. So for people dealing with co-workers, bosses, employees that have a lot of high conflict traits, especially narcissistic traits, uh, we've got the same thing for them. So it seems like high conflict in family law and high conflict in the workplace have a lot of similarities. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, same MO, right? Mm-hmm. All right, let, let's shift gears and talk about ear. And right. so uh, ear is empathy, attention, and respect. And yes. you have a new book called Calming People with Ear. And so let's talk about that. Let's go into what you mean by ear and let's, let's start with empathy. Okay. Yeah. So ear is really an ear statement. So we want it to include empathy, attention, and or respect. And empathy can be so powerful. So if somebody, and, and ear statements are designed to be verbal. So it can be on the phone, in person, over Zoom, other platforms. So empathy can just be a sentence or two that says, you know, I feel the same way too sometimes, or I can see your frustration, or um, I hear how hard this is. Um, I, I understand this is a really difficult time. And so rather than reacting, like you get an angry statement made, rather than reacting in anger, you turn it around and focus on that person rather than yourself. So rather than defending yourself, so let's say you're working on a project and and something's not going right. And they say, well, you're an idiot. And you feel like saying, no, you're the idiot. But instead, you give them some empathy and say, I can see you're worried about how this is going or whether we're going to meet the deadline. Let's talk about what we can do. So I can see you're worried about this is underneath the anger. And so rather than reacting to anger is try to identify what's underneath and and acknowledge that, you know, I can understand your frustration. I can see you're worried. Any of those phrases tend to help. And I, I, I can see how this would be super helpful. I can also hear the collective from my audience where they're dealing with narcissists and they have felt beaten down yeah. and they're going, I don't feel like doing this. I've already given enough to this narcissist. Like, I don't want to give them empathy and attention. I don't, I don't. I don't respect them. I don't empathize with them. (laughs) Like, it's enough already. What would you say to that? Well, I'd say a couple things. First of all, narcissists really like to hear respect. So I would probably emphasize respect more than the empathy 
if you recognize this is a narcissist. And I tell clients, sprinkle your conversation with the word respect. I respect your time with our daughter. I respect your the project you just finished. Congratulations on that promotion. Something that shows respect to them. Now, don't overdo it because you don't want to give them a feeling of advantage over you, but it's more acknowledging something they've done that's worthy of respect. And it may be hard to find that, but it's helpful if you do. The other thing I want to say, I give an example in the book of where a woman was actually taken hostage at gunpoint by a man who had killed three people at court that morning and had escaped. And people say, I don't want to have to say ear statements. I, why should I be nice to somebody who's being mean to me? This is a perfect example where she used ear statements and she didn't know that term, but the words that she used, she wrote a book about it, just struck me as she spent six hours as a hostage giving him ear statements, convinced him to let her go and to turn himself into the police. So the idea is you might not want to be nice back, but this is a way of managing the other person, including managing a narcissist. Just don't overdo it. Find something, give them that statement, and then you can move on. Say, well, now I've got to get back to you know, work or now I need to get to the store or something. But by saying, you know, I really respect your time with our child and let's see how we can solve this problem. Yeah. I mean, I talk um, about like bartering, uh, using bartering as like a method to get what you want from narcissists from time to time, like kind of like fluffing up their ego, narcissistic fluffing a little bit, where you mm -hmm. use just enough fluffing to get something you want in return. You know, like, can you help Johnny with the algebra homework? You're so much better at math than I am. And so, you know, he would benefit from it so much more than if I helped him. So it's like just enough to like get what you want from it. And so um, I think, you know, what you're saying here is like a little bit of that. It's like enough empathy, attention and respect to kind of calm them down, mm -hmm. to make them feel heard. Uh, you know, the, the, the bottom line is that all human beings want to feel seen, heard and know that they matter. But when you're dealing with a high conflict personality or a narcissistic personality, they need it even more. And they're not getting it anywhere in their life because nobody wants to give a narcissist respect. They're like, you feel like you want to put them down and say, you're the stupidest guy in the But giving them an ear statement, finding something small. And I like the, what you said, the fluffing up. It doesn't have to be long, just enough. But that's a form of respect. I respect your math skills. So you don't have to use the word respect, but the idea. So just that's enough. 
Yeah, just enough. And, you know, and I always tell people, like, if you need to go shower or vomit later, fine. But, like, and you don't use it all the time. Like, just enough to get something that you want. Like, it's very, you know... I call it ethically manipulating the manipulator, like just, you know, like sparingly so that you can get something that you want in return, right? Yeah. What's interesting, and I'm sure you've you've been dealing with this a lot with narcissists, is they really soak up like respect and attention because they're really not getting it and they can't see, they don't connect the dots of their own behavior to the lack of getting what they want from people. So this is giving them a little bit of what they they can use without overdoing it. Right, right, right. So, and in the uh, book, you also talk about some cautions. Um, you talk about um, obviously some safety concerns. Um, you wanna just mention that yeah. a little bit? Yeah, so one situation where you wouldn't be investing energy in figuring out a near statement would be, for example, domestic violence. If you can get away, it's better to get away than it is to put your energy into managing and calming a a physically abusive person. Uh, So that's, that's what I recommend. However, if you're really stuck, and some people have been really stuck with COVID, um, using ear statements sometimes diffuses this uh, a little bit. But the goal, the goal is your safety first. And that's always important. The other thing is sometimes narcissists get restraining orders against them. Mm-hmm. And they don't like that because they believe that they can talk themselves through anything. And so they may call up even though they're not allowed to. And a lot of times a a victim or survivor wants to, feels like they have to talk back to him, even though there's a restraining order. And so there's a temptation to do that and to think, well, I'm going to calm him with an ear statement. No, don't pick up the phone. Don't take that call. Uh, You've got a restraining order. You, You want that to have teeth in it. And that includes not responding. So there are some situations. Safety first is a really good principle in everything these days. Yeah, totally. Uh, Another caution um, that you give, which I think is really good, is avoiding defensiveness. You know, one of the things that I say when I talk about like the bartering, like I mentioned earlier, is like, be sure not to have any sarcasm or any tone because I always say narcissists hear tones like dogs hear whistles, like even if there's no tone, like that they hear tone. So talk about avoiding the defensiveness. I thought that was really good. Yeah. So this actually gives you something to do instead. So you consciously say, no, I don't have to defend myself. It's not about me. This is going on inside of him. And so I'm going to give an ear statement. And it's that switching around from thinking of yourself to thinking of how do I, how can I connect with this person in a really simple way that's not angry, hostile, whatever back. And one of the things that I emphasize early in the book is that emotions are contagious. And so 
if you if you are defensive, what's ironic, and I think you were getting at this, is narcissists and high conflict people in general want to get you stirred up. And so if you're defensive, you're stirred up and they've accomplished part of their goal is to say, I can manipulate you. I, you're like a puppet and I can play, play you like a violin, pull your strings. And so by giving them an air statement, it, it kind of throws them off balance because they're expecting a fight. And instead you're going, yeah, I can, I can see that's important to you. You know, uh, being a soccer coach or something like that, I can see that's important to you. Let's talk about how to figure this out or, you know, which team to sign up for. And, and so you really just, it's, and it's not easy but you talk yourself out of being defensive and instead manage the other person this way. Yeah. And I think it's important that you mention this because it's not like being defensive or, or trying to argue back to them is going to get you anywhere. You're never going to convince them of anything. That's absolutely right. And that's one of the biggest wastes of time. And I think you you teach that all the time is just forget about it. I call it one of the four big forget about it. And that is you're not going to give them insight into themselves. They can't connect the dots about their own behavior. So, forget so, so let's talk about what are the four big forget about it. So I'm now I'm intrigued. You might ask. <laughs> <laughs> So the four big forget abouts and really fits with what you teach. So the first is forget about giving them insight into themselves. The second is forget about the past. You're not going to get anywhere arguing the past with them and they want to do that. So focus on the future. What needs to be done now? And, you know, this is what I need. This is what I can do. This is what I can't do. Now, maybe I have to talk about the past, but do it very briefly. So focus on the future. The third is forget about emotions. And this is tricky, but don't have an emotional com- confrontation. That's when you're defensive because that feeds their escalation. But what I found is don't even ask how they're feeling. You can say, so, you know, how was the game yesterday or traffic coming here? But don't say, oh, how are you feeling today? Because they have a lot of unresolved feelings. And what happens is you put them in touch with their unresolved feelings. You're going to get a blast of hot air. You're going to say, I'm feeling terrible. You know what happened after that thing you said to me yesterday? Or, you know what my boss did yesterday? And you're going to hear a litany of complaints about yourself or somebody else. So better not to open that up. Better to focus on thinking and doing. You know, what do you think about this idea? Or, you know, can we do this? Here's what I recommend or request or suggest. And the fourth is easy. Don't tell them they're a high conflict person or a narcissist. Yeah, because then that's what you are, by the way. (laughs) As soon as you say that to them, that's what you become. Yeah, they'll say, you are. I had a court case where a guy had been diagnosed as a narcissist, 
And my client, the wife, was trying to cope with him, but they were getting divorced. And he says, she's a narcissist. And it's like, what's your evidence? She likes to shop. Well, that's not being a narcissist. So they do. They project back completely. Right. Completely. And then if you mention anything about a restraining order, they'll make sure they go get one against you before you get one against them. Yes. Yes. They're very much good at projection and onto you what's going on for them. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I don't know. We have just, you know, we're kind of at the end. I don't know if there's anything you want to make sure we uh, get in before we wrap up here. Um I just want to mention that ear statements can be useful in any situation with strangers, with family, in high conflict divorce, in uh, dealing with the workplace, uh, also dealing with political discussions today. People get angry and, you know, mass or no mass. So I have that example in here and how each person can turn this around. If one person uses an air statement, it often calms the conversation within 30 to 60 seconds. It's not guaranteed. Maybe 90% of the time it works, but nothing's 100% guaranteed. So you can use it. I've got about, I think, 28 examples in there of conversations and words you can use. Um, the last thing I guess I should say is you can get it on Amazon or any bookstore or can order it. it also, you can go to our website, highconflictinstitute.com. That's www.highconflictinstitute.com. We've got books, videos, articles, consultation, lots of resources. Absolutely. And in the book, he, he's got examples of what ear is and what it isn't. And he does go into how to use it in political situations and families and workplace and all that good stuff. So definitely make sure you grab it, go follow him, go check out his website, go grab copies of all of his books. I'll make sure there's links to everything in the show notes. Bill Eddy, you are the man. You are a rock star. I adore you. I think you're amazing. So make sure you guys go follow him and check out all of his stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rebecca. And it's great teamwork. So it takes all of us. Thank you. Thanks for stopping by and listening to this episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Check back next Monday for more inspirational pearls of wisdom. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, I'd love if you would give it a five-star rating and tell me what you liked in a review on iTunes. Also, be sure to grab your winning negotiation cheat sheet at winmynegotiation.com. And remember, today is a perfect day to start negotiating your best life. Thank you.